2: it is Good Friday, and it's the end of my week celebrating the Jesus Lizard. Jesus Lizard Week is done, just as most of the world celebrates Jesus coming back. Is that how it works? I think that's. I think I have that right. So yeah, I hope you've enjoyed the week. I would like to thank David Yao, Mac McNeely, Dwayne Dennison, and uh, today's guest, David Williams Sims, for uh, spending time with me and chatting about their new visual and oral history book book. It's called Book. It's out now, and Akashic Books. I'd like to to also thank Henry Owings, uh, because he had a huge hand in uh, designing this book. That's what we've learned. And uh, as you may have noticed uh, by the previous three episodes, I asked uh, everyone basically the same questions, because I did have a plan to uh, make this like a little documentary podcast. But then I was like, "Ah, I talked to mostly everyone on the phone. It's not really... The best audio, and I felt a little lazy. I guess I was being lazy. I thought the four individual episodes might be easier, and and then you you get everything. You don't just get a little sample of everyone's voice, and again, I was just being lazy. Still, uh, the book is beautiful and wonderful, and the band is beautiful and wonderful and great, and one of my favorites. So if you haven't uh, heard of the Jesus Lizard or heard their music, go buy their records, get book... Get the DVDs. There's lots of stuff. They're well documented and they were really the best. So I hope you learned something about the Jesus Wizard. And if you know them well, I hope you feel like uh, you gain some insight about them in some way. I don't normally do this, but uh, next week uh, I'm off to St. John's, Newfoundland for a music festival called Lanya Vanya. And if all goes well, I'll be able to have some shows uh, ready before I leave. Uh, I'm hoping on Tuesday and Thursday I'll put them up and uh, if all goes well, my guests will be comedian David Heddy and uh, Jonah Falco and Mike Halichuk of the band Fucked Up. I think that's the plan, so stay tuned for that. Interviews with uh, the David Heddy's got a new comedy special. It's called It Was Okay. And Fucked Up have a new album coming out called Glass Boys, and they're going to be in this... We're all going to this festival in St. John's, so, uh, you know, they're my pals. I'm going to have him on the show So that's a little heads up But for now, David William Sims uh, Talking about the Jesus Lizard I'm a little sad the Jesus Lizard week is over I gotta say The Eden Mills Writers' Festival and The Bookshelf are pleased to present Alison Wearing's award-winning one-woman show, Confessions of a Fairy's Daughter, Growing Up with a Gay Dad. This is happening at the E-Bar in Guelph on Friday, May 23rd. Based on her best-selling memoir, Wearing's compelling show tells the story of growing up with a gay father in the 1980s. Balancing intimacy, history, and downright hilarity, this is a captivating tale of family life, deliciously imperfect, riotously challenging, and full of life's great lessons and love. This all-ages licensed performance of Confessions of a Fairy's Daughter takes place at the E-Bar, located at 41 Quebec Street in Guelph, on Friday, May 23rd at 8 p.m. sharp. Tickets are now available at the Bookshelf Bookstore, also located at 41 Quebec Street, or online via Ticketbreak.com. And for more information about the show, visit Eden Mills Writers Festival.ca. The E-Bar is not a fully accessible venue.
1: It was actually our publisher uh, Johnny Temple's idea. Johnny, the owner of Akashic Books. I mean, he approached me. I believe it was at the end of two thousand nine, and, and just said he thought there would be some interest in that, and he asked if uh, you know I'd be willing to talk about it. And so yeah, we had lunch and, and talked about how that would work, and then you know the, the band came into the conversation, and we decided that it was something that we'd be willing to give a try.
2: And did you have, have people kind of? I mean, there's been a few video documents of the band uh, in terms of live shows. The band's live show is really well regarded. Has anyone ever approached you before this to to kind of illuminate the story of the band?
1: No, not in this way. I mean, nobody had approached us about doing a book, and I don't think anybody had really you know talked about yeah you know, doing the story of the band that way. I mean, like you say, I think most of the documentation about the band either has to do with the live shows or or things like record reviews or something like that.
2: Right, right. Okay. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but my takeaway from the book is that you tended to do a lot of the work. Uh, It seems like, and I've spoken to the other members, and it seems like a lot of that had to do with scheduling, but is that a fair assessment? Do you feel like you did kind of the lion's share of the writing and and kind of chronicling of the band in in this book?
1: Oh, I probably did, you know, I I think... I mean, I I think probably David Yao and I did did the most work. I mean, David Yao did a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, David Yao was really in charge of the visual visual aspect, and he did you know spend just hours and days and weeks doing you know color correction and and editing the photos and, and 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 he kind of laid out the template for the look of the book that then he and Henry went on to use in, in actually laying it out. Henry Owings, um, so. Yeah, I would say I didn't actually do that much having to do with how the book looked. I mean, that's that I would mostly say is David with some help from Henry. Right. Um, I did like a lot of the the editing of the text. I, I dealt a lot more with the actual text in the book. And
2: you, is it fair to is it fair to say that you're something of well, it sounds like David Yao is as well, but are you also kind of the prime archivist of the band?
1: I'm sort of an archivist by nature, you know. I I, I always have an I, I always took a lot of pictures and you know, I was the one that was always, you know, maintaining the books for the band. So, you know, that's sort of is a is an interesting record of things. And, you know, I was the one that was always maintaining a list of all the shows and you know, I've sort of done that with most of the bands that I've been in. Um yeah, like I say, I'm sort of a, an archivist by nature. I mean, it's just not—it's not necessarily particular to the Jesus lizard. It's just a part of my personality that I probably couldn't turn off if I wanted to.
2: Now, where does that documentation, like that—that document—you're kind of like a documenter. Where does that, where does that impulse come from? Do you think?
1: I don't know. I mean, I'm a, like I say, I'm, I'm a little compulsive about it. I, I think it's sort of just it has always been sort of a part of my personality. Are you a hoarder? I'm not a hoarder. You know, it's interesting. Um, I'm related to hoarders, but I'm sort of an anti-hoarder. I mean, I'm really big on throwing things and getting rid of things. I mean, I sort of have to be because I live in New York City, and and like all Manhattanites, I don't have nearly enough space, uh, enough living space. So I'm just constantly trying to, you know, I, I I value the space more than the stuff. So I'm constantly
2: getting rid of things and throwing things away. Right. Okay. I just wanted to make sure you're okay. I, this is just, um, just me. Doing well, relatively well. Okay, yeah. you're doing fine. Now, sometimes it takes a project like this to really learn about your fellow bandmates. Uh, maybe even reflect upon what you've accomplished together. And you know, this is obviously a, a document of at least ten years of your life. Um, and I'm curious, was that did you, did you find that you learned a lot about your your fellow bandmates and your existence together by by going through the process of making this book?
1: I think I did. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I mean, um, yeah, I learned things about David. I mean, I probably knew the most about David because I've known him since 1980, mm-hmm. uh, and we've been in you know a number of bands together. But I definitely learned some things about him from the things he wrote and from Dwayne. I learned a lot about Mac. You know, Mac's piece about his you know childhood and growing up is, is pretty extensive, and those. A lot of nutty stuff there that I, I just I just had no idea.
2: I assume that at some point uh, he brought up the fact that he was struck by lightning?
1: I did know that he had been struck by lightning,
2: yes. This was a huge revelation to me, and I, I wondered if it might contribute to his ability to play the drums in some way.
1: I hope so. I yeah. like that theory.
2: He's an electrifying drummer, right? I mean, exactly. Maybe there's current running through him. Okay, so you mentioned that you kind of spoke generally. You say you learned a lot. Are there other specific things... That you can cite in terms of like things that that are revelations to you, and then by turn will probably be revelations to people who read this book.
1: Um, you know, it's uh, um, again, kind of going back to Max' piece. There was just all of those those strange, like sort of his his sort of childhood consumed by pranks that I knew nothing about. All of the, you know, setting fires in mailboxes and and. Throwing mannequins off of bridges into oncoming traffic and stuff.
2: Right, that I just had no idea about. He, he's, was was he a prankster as an adult? Because he seems he always seemed to have a. Whenever I see interviews with Mac, or and I've interviewed him as well, he has he has a real sense of fun about him.
1: Yeah, he is a very fun guy. He's a very uh, a very affable and
2: charming guy. Uh, yes. Okay, that comes across. Now. For some people, the Jesus Lizard is a real um, musician's band. Like every member is really regarded as one of the best to ever do what they do. And I've never thought too hard on it because I just love the band. I love the band so much. But I noticed that you and Dwayne in particular spend a lot of time in this book, in your in your essays, in, in your writing. It seems to me you're talking to musicians, like in terms that maybe only players might appreciate, and I'm I'm curious. Was the respect of players, your peers, uh, particularly meaningful to you? Maybe more so than critics or fans, even.
1: You know, I think I just wrote the book that I would want to read. You know, when, when you I know what you're talking about. Those kind of musical details that we dealt that that Dwayne and I both delved into, and you know, I love that kind of stuff. When I read musicians going into that stuff, and it's more than just. You know, I'm just far more interested in that stuff than like stuff about life on the road or whatever. I mean, I I know that's I, I I know those stories, mm-hmm. but the stuff about actually like the musical nuts and bolts of the songs and and kind of the the breaking down the process of recording and songwriting those are the things that I'm really interested about when I read about music. And I, as far as I'm concerned, you just don't see nearly enough of that stuff. And maybe the reason is that. It is sort of geared more towards musicians, but um, yeah, that's what I was doing. I was basically just, and I think Dwayne as well, we were just trying to, to write the sorts of things that we enjoy reading ourselves.
2: Right, as musicians, like was there ever a point, I don't know who was, I assume Henry was helping edit the book, was, was there anyone who thought, you know, this might not go over that well with a general audience, you're talking music theory, you're talking music gear, uh, was there ever a thought like, ah, oh, we might be alienating some people here? No, we
1: didn't really care. I mean, I was I edited the text in the book, and that was just something I didn't worry about.
2: Right. I mean, I
1: the stuff I thought was cool went into the book. The stuff that there wasn't room for or wasn't that cool didn't.
2: Okay. We've touched upon two things here that I think are interesting to the band's legacy. Uh, you mentioned David Yao uh, really having a, a big hand in the design of the book, the art, the way the book kind of presents itself. And now we're talking about the kind of musical presentation Do you think that those are two aspects, the kind of artistry? I suppose in general, the artistry of the band, do you think that has been, I don't know if undervalued is the correct term, but is that something you really wanted to highlight in terms of the legacy of the Jesus Lizard?
1: Which part? Are you talking about the visuals or the music?
2: Well, as I say, I think both are kind of, and from my perspective, they might be things that people, both things uh, have been taken for granted a little bit from my perspective as a fan. But from your perspective in the band, is that something you, you felt as well?
1: Uh, I, that's just not the sort of thing I spend time worrying about whether or not that's taken for granted. I mean, people will like it or they won't. I, I don't have time to worry about that. I, again, I just sort of put stuff that I thought was interesting and cool in the book. And I think that's what David was thinking as well. I don't think we had any sort of idea to, to educate people about things they weren't particularly interested in learning about
2: right but the scale of the like it's a coffee table book i have it i'm looking at it right now and i was reading it in bed and the thing weighed me down it's a heavy (laughs) it's a big book and i I just that that to me you know to to present everything in his you know cinema scope almost like it's huge uh that 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 speaks to kind of uh, a scale issue in the band as well like just the artistry of the band is presented i think as well as it can in book form
1: yeah, I mean, it's funny that you put it that way because, honestly, there was so much stuff that ended up just getting left out that we regretted having to leave out just because of space considerations and and time considerations. You know, I, yeah, I, I guess it's, it's a big book for what it is, but, I mean, we could have just gone working on the thing for years and, and probably made it twice as big eventually, but right. at some point we just had to say, <laughs> at some point we had to just, uh, get out from under it and move on with our lives.
2: Right. Okay. People like me who write about music and, and write about things like this uh, are going to try to come up with um, underlying themes, uh, something that uh, can be said about the overall legacy of the Jesus Lizard. And and before I kind of tell you where I'm coming from, can you kind of step back and and see, or rather articulate what you see as the legacy of this of the 10 years uh, that the band initially existed? Do you have a sense of that? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you.
1: I'm not sure I do. Again, that's kind of the, the sort of thing I just don't spend a lot of time worrying about. I mean, it's it's not something I get to decide, you know. I mean, whatever the legacy of the band is, I mean, I that will be, you know, determined by somewhere else. I mean, it, it, it will be what it will be, and I'm not going to worry
2: about it. Okay, no, that's fair. Can I tell you what I see? Can I tell okay. you? Here's, here's a theory. Here's a thread I see because I think the band was significant for a lot of reasons, uh, mostly musical, but I do think that when you came upon the scene, so to speak, it was about, it was like 1989, the late 80s, we were just entering a... Sh- and I would, by the way, I was 12, so I didn't know what was going on. I just was like, whatever. But mm-hmm. <laughs> there's there's something to be said about the band's emergence as a very powerful underground rock band, just as underground rock was being... Uh, I don't know, commodified I suppose is the best term, just as like it was beginning to be um, accepted by the mainstream and not only accepted but kind of pushed, and I think that the story of the band is very interesting in that it's the it's the narrative is of a very popular underground band who works within the major label system and somehow loses a bit of popularity even though artistically they feel very strong and then, but at the same time, stop like it's it, that whole experience seemed to stop you. It it seemed to run its course. Does that resonate with you?
1: Um, I don't know if I agree that the major label experience stopped us. I mean, I think we sort of we sort of began stopping when Mac left the band, and that didn't really have anything to do with major labels per se. And you know, when Mac left the band, and then we got you know. We played with a couple other drummers who were, you know, really talented drummers and, and were a pleasure to play with. But it, the chemistry of the band was never the same. And, and so I, although I think the four of us didn't quite realize it, I mean, once uh, one of the founding members left the band, it was probably just it, it was only a matter of time before, it, 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 you know, we stopped for hmm. Okay, so I mean, it, the, the the internal chemistry of the band was was very important, and it, and it was a way that's difficult was a way that we were very fortunate. It's a way that's difficult to articulate, but we really were very close friends, and we got along very very well, and it was a huge advantage for us.
2: Right, and and but as it stands, when Ma- when Mac left, uh, the subsequent recordings seem to be more of a departure.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah, they were. I'm they, not sure. I'm not sure if I think that's related to Mac or not. It was just, I mean, that's something we might have done anyway if Mac had stayed in the band.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and I don't think they're related. And I mean, when Mac was still in the band, even shot was something of a, okay. So shot was a bit of a departure and that it was your first album on a on Capitol Records. It was your first record, uh really, with a new producer, a new engineer. Uh so there 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 just seemed to be a shift. And and as it happened, I guess it's it's really a happenstance that Mac did not feel that the health of his life was being supported by being in this band at the time. Right. Right. So it's all kind of coincidence?
1: Um yeah, I mean that could have happened at any time in the band. I mean it just it wasn't, like I said, I Mac's leaving wasn't directly related to,
2: you know, yeah, the move to Capitol or,
1: or any of that.
2: Right. Which I, on the outside, some wondered, right? Like if we, before this book, I didn't really know. I mean, I've interviewed Mac and he has, he has told me that uh, he was going through personal issues. That's why he left the band. But prior to that interview a few years ago, I just thought, well, maybe he just didn't feel comfortable in that circumstance. But that's clearly not the case.
1: No, it's not the case. It, okay. it was more personal than that it really had nothing to do with,
2: yeah, it didn't have anything to do with,
1: I guess, I, if we had continued on for several more years on Touch and Go, my feeling is Max still would have had to leave.
2: Right, okay. And, and you, you very, uh, I think, eloquently and in a very heartfelt way, there's a passage in the book where you talk about how you think about that situation a lot. Uh In terms of the chronology of the band and how you've really wrestled with what could have been done to make Mac's life easier in the band
1: right i have I think we all have and it, it was a it was a very uh it was a very difficult time for all
2: of us right now, the other thing I've noticed in reading your passages in the book is that your relationship with Steve Albini seems prickly still to this day um can you speak to that? Am I misreading that well, I mean I think.
1: I mean, first of all, I'm not sure I was writing as much about my relationship as the band's relationship. I think it it might just come out as something related to me because I'm the one who wrote about it. But I mean the band's relationship with Steve could be was fraught. And but, you know, I think Steve was an enormous asset to the band. He was a huge and he is a, a big booster of the band. And, you know, I, I think I, I didn't want to dance around that. I didn't want to be dishonest about it, and I don't, I don't think Steve did either. I mean, I think you can see that in, in the, the piece he wrote, but I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we very much wanted him to write a piece for the book, and we're very happy that he did. Uh, and, you know, I think his, the piece that he wrote is important,
2: and and very well done, and we were
1: very happy and honored that, that he took the trouble to do it.
2: Mm-hmm. But when you, so, but beyond the band's relationship, when you talk about the time that you and Steve spend together in a band, that also is you. You cite the fact that you were in a band called Rape Man as one of as the biggest musical regret of your life. And from the outside, I can't help but see this. You say fraught, but it seems to me that you your lineage with him with Steve, it's complicated. It seems like it's a it was a problematic relationship for you.
1: Um, you know, it's it's had relationships are problematic they the you know they all are i mean uh, ray man yeah i always had issues with the name you know i i, I went along with it but, and and then lived to regret it mm-hmm. i mean that's you know i'm not sure it's fair to like lay that all at steve's feet i mean i was there i i could have you know not participated and and also ray the drummer was there yeah um you know and and you know we all chose the name and, and you know, and lived with it.
2: Right. But again, from my perspective, when I see a separation between what the Jesus Lizard were at the peak of their, let's say, popularity versus wh- how they kind of ended, does Steve kind of represent a divide for you in terms of how people perceive the band? Like, because that what happened when you shifted to Capitol, it had nothing to do with. I mean, some would argue it did, but for the most part, it seemed to have nothing to do with the music, the kind of backlash that ensued. It was really about people like Steve who would not suffer anyone uh, who worked in sort of any kind of corporate realm. Do you see where that, uh, do you see where I'm coming from with that?
1: Um, I guess,
2: yeah. <laughs> okay. It, it's, it's the kind of thing where you, when you do a project like this, all of this stuff comes back. Right, And it must impact you in some way when you reflect back upon regrets or, or you know, the moves the band made, um, you know, positive or negative. I mean, all of this stuff just came back to me. It's some stuff I was kind of peripherally aware of. And here it is in black and white on the page. So as a fan of the band and someone who had a, a very formative time in that period, the 1990s, where things were really weird for underground culture, I feel like the band is almost emblematic of that saga of that story of that the trajectory of a lot of bands at that time
1: Uh I guess we could be I mean we don't really consider ourselves you know the standard bearer of anything
2: yeah but I mean I, I suppose you could put that
1: read on it I hadn't really thought of it quite that way
2: okay now I presume that having spoken with David Yao um numerous times over the last few years he's fairly emphatic that he's done with music Um and he doesn't like like i guess my my question here is does this book seem like the final chapter for the jesus lizard?
1: Oh, i don't know. You know, it is until something else that we want to do comes up. It could be, but you know, i i don't really make those sort of commitments to commitments to never the way david does.
2: Right. And and I, i've asked all members this because you guys were together in 2009 playing shows was there never a, a feeling of just jamming? Like, beyond getting ready for a sound check, beyond preparing the material that the band was sort of best known for or, the, or felt, you know, the best about playing, did you ever start noodling around and being like, yeah, this is great? Like, when you have four people with this chemistry, it's remarkable to me that you wouldn't want to try to do something new.
1: Well, you know, like I said, I mean, it's possible. I mean, I'm in a busy place in my life right now, but there's... No particular reason we couldn't at some point, you know, work on some more songs and see
2: what happens. Okay. So you're leaving it open.
1: I am absolutely leaving it open, yes.
2: Do you miss the band? Um,
1: you know, I don't really think about it that much.
2: <laughs> when you did the reenactment, and by the way, David Yao calls it the reenactment tour. Yes, he's a funny one. How do you feel about that? Because when I mentioned that to Dwayne, he was like, did you just say reenactment tour? And I was like, yeah, that's what David Yao calls it, and I'm trying to honor that, I suppose. Do you feel like it was a reenactment tour as opposed to a reunion tour? Uh,
1: I don't even know what that means. It sounds like something David Yao would say.
2: It's <laughs> a guy kind of thing to say. Yes. Yeah, so you... All right, so you, you can't, you can't say you miss it. That puts too much importance on it.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean... It was fun doing the shows that we did in 2009. If we did some other shows in the future, they would probably be fun as well. If none of that happens, I'll probably find other fun stuff to do.
2: Okay. Uh, I want to leave with uh, two questions. One, do you anticipate any more uh, Jesus Lizard-related releases? And uh, beyond that, can you talk a little bit about what you've been up to lately? Um.
1: I don't anticipate any other Jesus Lizard releases, but in my way, I'm unwilling to say it will never happen. Um,
2: oh, sorry, but, sorry, and- but by, by releases, I mean, I, I believe it was David Yao telling me that he got to, to have a gander at some really cool live footage from the last stuff you guys did.
1: Oh, I haven't seen any of that. Oh,
2: okay, so you know nothing of, of uh, archival footage or anything like that. No, I don't know anything about that. Okay, okay. So, I mean, there
1: was a thing like a a video and LP that came out from the tour that we did in two thousand nine. Yeah, Asheville show club. Yes, exactly.
2: Yeah, no, but he said there was something beyond that. I think it was. I hope it was David Yao. Um, somebody it might have been Dwayne. I guess it might have been Mac. It could have been anyone, but you suggested mm-hmm. that there was something that was pro shot. I think it was at the Chicago show. Um, and he said he saw it, and it was amazing, and he hopes that that sees the light of day. But you know nothing about that. No, I guess I don't. Okay. All right. Uh, okay, so the book is it for now?
1: Uh, Yeah, for now, yeah.
2: Okay. And what about you?
1: Uh, You know, I live in New York City. I work on music a little bit, still write some songs, trade tapes back and forth with people and work on songs. Uh, I'm an accountant as well. You have a day job? Um, I'm self-employed.
2: That's that's good, right?
1: Sure, I like it.
2: <laughs> okay. So, uh and uh, do you have any active music projects right now?
1: No, not right now.
2: Oh, man. That seems a shame to me, David, if I might say.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with you. I, you know, maybe after once this tax season's over, I'll probably try and get more uh get more active in that, on that front.
2: Okay. Well, David, uh, it's been a real pleasure to speak with you, and uh, I wish you the best of luck with book and and everything.
1: All right, thank you very much.
2: All right, there you go. That's it. The Jesus Lizard Week on this show is done. Special thanks again to each and every member of the band, uh, Kate Bogdan and everybody else at Akashic Books for helping me set all this stuff up. And, you know, I hope you enjoyed it. That's it. The show gets back to normal, relatively speaking, next week. Okay, have a nice Easter. Hey, thanks again for checking out Creative Control with Vish Khanna. You can email me about the show at creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. That's creative with a K, control with a K, 933 at gmail.com. You can also follow our Twitter at vishcreative, V-I-S-H, K-R-E-A-T-I-V-E. And you can also like our Facebook page. A version of this show airs on CFRU in Guelph every Wednesday at noon Eastern,